Thank you for visiting Open Life today. We're glad that you took time out of your busy week to join in with our service. If you're listening online or through the Open Life Church app, I need to point out two things for your benefit. The first is that we have our notes conveniently placed for you to follow along with the passages and points mentioned in the talk. The second thing I would like to point out is our connection card. If you fill this out while you are listening, it not only lets us know you visited us today, but also allows you to communicate any prayer requests you may have. We will be sure to take time to pray for them during the course of the week. If you are listening on iTunes, you can always visit us online or download the Open Life Church app to get in contact with us. Wherever or however you are with us today, we are glad that you are here. Now let's join today's talk. It is beautiful out, and so thanks for coming in on a sunny day. I know it's easy to, to go, oh man, it's a sunny day, so I have to take advantage of the sunny day and stay at home. If you would have made that decision and then you're listening to this podcast, you'd feel kind of funny because today's section of Scripture is all about silly excuses, right? So it would have been one of those moments. In fact, those that are listening to the podcast today that just made a decision to just, oh, I'm not going to wake up and go. I love you. Thanks for listening to this. And uh, just keep that in mind as we preach today. So there we go. That was for the listeners. And uh, we have a great portion here of text. And, and the title that's on your handout, if you're a fill-in-the-blank person or if you're tracking on the app, uh, whichever way you're following along today in order that you're ready to respond on your connection card, uh, it's kind of interesting. I put no more excuses, but it could easily have been entitled, I give up. I give up. Because like, God is going to pursue us and help us get through all of our excuses, and we might as well just surrender, right? And he's going to kind of lead us there. But let's read a quite lengthy section here. Uh, Luke 14, 15 says, when one of those at the table with him heard this, okay, pause. That's what we talked about last week. Um, Jesus has been with these Pharisees in a home and he's on a synagogue. He's healed a few people. He's approached some subjects about humility and the Sabbath and, and all these different things. So he's still with them. This is a continued teaching. So I just wanted you to know, like, why it says, you know, those at the table with him heard this. Well, what's this? It's some teachings on humility and healing on the Sabbath. So continue. He said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Right? It's a nice religiously sounding thing to say, correct? So Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't make it, right? It's like, okay, we totally understand you, bro. God, you just, whatever. Okay, so moving on. No explanation, there's Junior hires in here. Okay, verse 21. The servant came back and reported to this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, 
go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads, the country lanes, and compel them to come in. Some translations of the Bible right there may say, make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of the banquet. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brother and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. You imagine you're at the table, you're like, huh? Right? That's a pretty bold statement he just made. Verse 27, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? If you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace in the same way. Those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but it loses its saltiness. How can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor the manure pile if it is thrown out, or it is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. So this is an interesting chunk of text today. Sorry, I heard myself like popping in the mic, so I'm fixing it for you, Corey, so you don't have to like mess with stuff. Okay, the, uh, it's interesting because what happens here is you got this section of a parable where Jesus is going, okay, how committed are you? Like, this is, this is really the, 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 a little teaching here. And then you, you've got these, just these rapid fire, like, this is how to be a faithful disciple, Adam. And they're going, it's easy to read through this as we just did. And, and here are a couple tweetable moments, but you're like, really, what's the what's being taught here, you kind of have to slow down because if you just interpret it on the fly, you'll catch and interpret it in modern day if you're trying to translate it. It might come through like this. You may have heard, a man's trying to throw a block party, and he sent a bunch of invitations to it, right? So save the date. When it came time for the block party, a bunch of people didn't show up, so he said to those who were in charge of inviting people, uh, hey, the helpers, why don't you go out and you know, remind people, well, we already put it on Facebook, you know, Thad, and, and so they're not able to make it. Well, then, then uh, get buses and go bring people, right? And then, then all of a sudden it said, by the way, love me, hate your family, uh, count the cost, give me everything. Right? And then it's like, oh, and side note, bacon tastes great, but if you burn it, you have to throw it out. 
okay, Jesus, you lost me with the bacon, right? It's just like, it's confusing. If you, and so if you just read it through, you're like, there's some happy little teachings next page. But there's stuff we can get here, and there's, there's this interesting element that speaks towards the tendencies we have in our relationship with Jesus and His church and the kingdom of heaven. And you're like, okay, so, so back to the salt, because that just loses me there. It's obvious. Salt loses its saltiness, you know, and, and you miss these insights that are just packed in here. He's interested, Jesus is, in making disciples, those who would continually grow and keep a sharpness, a, a flavor to their faith, not those who would just be a crowd. Because he says, you know, he's banqueting at this table. This person asks him a question, and, and then he turns to the crowd who's following him. He's not interested. Jesus has never been interested in a crowd. He's been interested in making disciples, which means those who would grow in a relationship with him and in obedience to God. So he's trying to make these disciples, people who are continually growing. And uh, if he wasn't interested in disciples, he would have just kept increasing the size of the crowd and increasing the size of the crowd and finding a way to a bigger place and increase the size of the crowd. And I think sometimes we get our mission off, right? He wants to build his church, but he wants to build it through people growing genuinely in their faith, figuring out how to pursue Him. He's not settled with just followers. So, he's going to… that's where this whole journey, this whole final journey, he's been teaching hard at times because there's some difficult language. I mean, he used the hate word, right? And so, it's like, whoa, what's he talking about? So, I have five tendencies that I think Jesus is really pointing out in this, both in the parable and the teachings of how to become a better disciples. So, the first one, it's a tendency we all have. We have a tendency to make excuses. We make excuses. It's just, it's become a natural part. We like, we've all, if you've ever raised kids, you know this, they always have an excuse, right? Not calling anybody out by name or staring them down or anything. Anyway, uh, you know, it's just, it's that reality of of excuse making. There's even a biblical tie-in if you are like looking for one, which you kind of have to be. But there's a biblical tie-in. Back in Deuteronomy, they talk about how, you know, a man should not go to war if he's just been married or, you know, all these rules. And, and so you could see that, man, were these guys who are making excuses that are being described by Jesus, was there a deep theological insight that we we're supposed to discover from them? And knowing the purpose of the writing of this book and who wrote it and who it was written to, No. Luke is focused on one thing as the author of this book. He's focused on excuses. And not just excuses. These guys are dialoguing about not showing up. The whole picture is a banquet, right? A great banquet. It's imagery of heaven. And so Jesus is talking about heaven in this parable. And he's talking about people making an excuse not to cross the line of faith, not to be putting their faith and and choosing to follow Jesus. So, he's telling all these people, why have you not chose to follow me? Why do you keep making more excuses to not follow me? And not just, he would have included in the parable, this is what's cool to discover, 
Jesus would have included in the parable them arriving later if they ever made it. But they never make it. They're never present at the banquet. And so I just look at this and go, interesting. Jesus is trying to help us capture the reality that we need to not make excuses and make sure we put our faith in Jesus because there's an eternal banquet in heaven we do not want to miss, and we're all invited. The invitation is out. It's whether we accept it or not. So that's what's so interesting when you start to look in here. I don't know what your excuses are. I don't know what's getting in your way of making it to eternity. But that's what's being talked of here. That's, we want to fill heaven, right? That's what we're doing. Jesus is sharing here and encouraging people to make it to this eternal table. And he carried a cross on his back. And he was nailed to it, died, three days later rose from the grave, conquering death, hell, and the grave, right? So that we could put our faith in him and pass through that same experience to eternity. It's incredible what we have the opportunity to do through putting our faith in Jesus and choosing to follow him. But this moment, I mean, the moment we choose to follow Jesus, it's like a light switch. It's like there's this thing on the ceiling, and we're going, I wonder what it would be like to, to turn that thing on, right? And you click the light switch, and all of a sudden, the power goes through, and you go, oh, that's what that light was intended to do. It's per- Your life may be incredible right now, but when you choose to follow Jesus, or if you have friends, and you're trying to dialogue with them, and they're like trying to figure this out, when you choose to follow Jesus, it's like connecting the power. And you're going, oh, wow, everything is clearer with the lights on. That's interesting. And that's, that's the difference it makes when we choose to follow Jesus. But we make excuses and, of why we can't follow Jesus and, and why we can't be a disciple. You know, you know, I'm just not sure about the whole exclusivity thing. You know, this whole, it says Jesus is the only way. A little uncomfortable with that, you know. Or maybe an excuse would be, it's sunny out, it's supposed to be over 70, and I have to mow my lawn, right? Or may, sorry again, the podcast listener who's listening to this while you're mowing your lawn, I love you. Okay, here we go. Um, and then I do that. I listen to podcasts while I'm mowing sometimes, so I'm like, I just like told that guy mowing. Anyway, so moving on. Um, uh, how about this one? Because this would be like one of the excuses, right? Well, I bought a cabin, and someone needs to be there, so I'm just going to, you know, I would come to church, but I, I've got to go to the cabin. Or I own a boat, and I need to be on the water. There's no water in the lake. I'm just going to get moving on. Um, uh, you know, I, I just, you look at these and just go, hmm, I'm not a church person. That's my favorite one, because I'm like, well, neither am I. Woo, we're in the same boat there, Right? tie into the last excuse. But, you know, what even is that? What, what, what are you saying when you're not a church person? It's like, am I a church? What is that? Who is that guy? Tell me about him, you know? Because uh, that somebody has a definite interpretation when they say, I'm not a church person. Is that, a, is that like, was that church person judgmental? Were they hateful? That's not Jesus. That's not our model. You know, we're full of love and grace. Anyway, we don't want to 
create church people out of unchurched people. That's never been our objective. We want to introduce people to a life-giving, loving, incredibly eternal, impacting relationship with Jesus, the Son of God, whom He sent for us to be able to join Him in eternity. He wanted to reunite fellowship with man, and I do not at all desire to create people into churched people. That's not my mission. And uh, I look at that, and I go, you know, we didn't sign up for this. We didn't sign up for making normal people into church people. We didn't sign up for the opportunity to try to grow the biggest church in the world and uh, so that we could write books or speak at conferences. That's not our goal. That's not why Open Life exists. We are sent, each of us, into our place of strength, our workplace, our schools, our, you know, wherever we have connection with people, sports relationships we develop through our kids in sports, or our grandkids in sports, whatever season of life you're in, or playing sports, to be on mission, to be a light, to be the presence of Jesus to those who do not know Him, to serve them, to connect with them, to share life with them in hopes that we're an example of Christ that just demands an explanation. And we have an opportunity to present hope. Life is full when lived out in this adventure with Jesus. And we just need to stop making excuses. I don't know. Second, we settle for an invitation. I mean, this is the second temptation we have or, or thing Jesus is pointing out. He's like, you've settled with it. He was uh, talking with the servant in the illustration, in the parable. You've settled with an invitation. Jesus doesn't settle with an empty church, or in this instance, heaven, that my house will be full is his desire, right? It's our job as servants in this story to be the ones who fill the church, his house. It's our active sharing of faith, our being bringers that allow us to discover the fullness of what we have in Jesus. Now, hear me clearly, though. I was asked a question this week. I was at a conference with a bunch of pastors from around the state of Washington and northern Idaho. And one of the pastors asked me this question. It was an interesting question. It did make me think. But he said, what are you doing in the next year? Or what are you doing right now? What decisions are you making that will allow you in the next year to grow your church by 100 people? And I just immediately inside me had a couple issues with the question, and I didn't make him feel weird because he's an awesome leader. He's doing incredible things. But I was like sitting there going, well, one, obviously, if I wanted to be super spiritual, I'd go, it's not my church, right? It's the church of Jesus. I just want to let you know that. You know, but it's like, so you could have done that. I didn't do that. I was just like, man, that's a good question, bro, you know? And, uh, but the other thing was this that just immediately came to my mind. I, uh, I love to share my faith because it's been so life-giving to me. It was such a transformational experience for me at the age of 21 to make a decision to follow Jesus. And I love sharing that same experience with others so that they can live life to the full, like get more out of life. The room looks different with a light on, right? So although I want to fill his house, I'm more about filling his house, the kingdom of heaven, that's our mission, right? So we need to do both. We need to reach the 80,000 people in a five-mile radius 
that are not connected to a church, we need to touch their lives with the gospel, bring hope to them, right? Which is why we want to reproduce rapidly. But I'm not motivated by the number we could grow to in a year. I'm motivated by the number of people we can go to in a year. I don't know. It's just me. It's semantics. But I want to challenge you. You're on mission when you're at work, not just while you're sitting here, right? You're at mission while you're in a group dialoguing out your faith and encouraging one another. And if you're not in a group, sign up for one. I know there's not a lot of them. There will be because we're growing, because we're sharing our lives with one another and sharing Jesus with one another. I love this quote by an old preacher, 1910. It was a while ago, right? And uh, Spurgeon was his name. And he said this, I want this evening to convince you that although there are still many sinners who seem to have no room for Christ in their hearts and lives, yet there is plenty of room for sinners in the heart and love of Christ. And I'm going to give them an earnest, tender, affectionate invitation to come to Christ while yet there is room. Wow. That is amazing. Just deeply thought out. There's still room, is what the servant told the master in the story. And that's when he's like, then go find people. Take the bus out, right? Fill it up. Let's fill our house. Let's make more houses to fill, is what we'd say today. So three elements of being a good servant, because he's approaching the servant subject in this, right? So here's the blanks there, three elements of being a good service, servant that Jesus challenges us with in the parable. One, we're challenged to be a bringer, not just an inviter. The invitations went out. People knew about the banquet. They put the date on their calendar, but something else came up. That's where excuses came in. And so he's like, be a bringer. Who are you going to bring? It's totally a different scenario, right? Be a bringer. Also, how about this? We are challenged to reach farther. It's interesting the locations that come into play, and they had spiritual meaning in their day. So when he's saying, okay, so we know who's been invited in the Bible. If you read from the beginning, Genesis, and you're reading in the Old Testament, it was the, the Israelites were invited. They're God's chosen people. And then there were these unchosen people called the Gentiles. And, and, and so he's like, there's, there's those who are right with God and pure and not unclean. Well, those people were the initial invited, and they didn't all show up. They're who made excuses. The Pharisee who is asking this question is who Jesus is kind of calling out, right? Well, when he says, go out to the streets and alleys, when he's talking about going to the lame, the poor, the, those are the unclean people. So he first goes and says, did the, did the invited come? No, there's still room. Well, go to the unclean people, the unclean Israelites, for whatever reason. Okay, well, yeah, we've already done that. And then he's like, okay, it's time for the Gentiles, which is why Luke wrote the book. 
Luke wrote this gospel. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke's mission in writing this gospel was to ensure people that Jesus was the Son of God and the Gentiles were welcomed into the kingdom of heaven. So he's writing this to help them understand, no, we've made the invite beyond the the unclean Israelite. Now the invite goes all the way out to the streets and the alleys. There's a farther reach that the gospel touches now. The kingdom of heaven is near, right? And then we're challenged to compel. Because the reality is when you get past here and here and you get to those far from God, if you would say, it's going to take some convincing that God even wants them. Like, why would I go to church? I've, my mom didn't go to church. My grandma didn't go to church. My great-grandma didn't go to church. You know, all the way back down the scale. I'm just kidding. Anyway, so you'll get that later. Like, what was he doing? You know, the whole scale. Okay, evolution. Okay, moving on. Uh, it's not totally what I believe in. So you have this moment here where you are forced to have a conversation with somebody who it's this new thought that they're welcome it's a new thought that they're invited. Like, really? Okay, I'm not a, this is a joke, right? You're going to bring me into this religious place and they're going to throw stones at me. I'm not going. This, I'm not welcome there, really. No, you are welcome. Uh, right? It's going to take some convincing. And so I love that word compel, or older translations would say, make them come, force them in the bus, right? I preached this one time in a youth ministry first youth ministry I was in, and, and this kid who also, I, I believe he was the person who shot out my window with a shotgun, but anyway, he, he would take kids at school, and he would say, you need to come to church with me tonight, right? Because this whole compel or make them come thought, and, uh, and they'd go, no, I can't, and he would throw them into their locker and said, you're coming to church or I'm going to kill you. Like, okay, I'm coming. I'm coming. I'll be there, you know, so we did grow quickly, but it was through an interesting method. So I don't know you should try that. Nowadays in school, you use the K word, you go home real fast, you know, so I wouldn't do that. But uh, other types of threats will work. Um, so, you know, it's that interesting thought, isn't it? It's like, what does compel look like? How compelling is your invitation? Or how quickly do you give up on those who are like, no thanks, I'm not a church person. Or no thanks, I've, I've never been. Uh, or I'm not interested. Life is great. It could be better. I love that line. I just like, there's something you're missing. What? I have everything. I got the latest Apple Watch. Paid $10,000. It's gold, you know? It's like, there's more. What? I got the gold version. You know, it's on back order for others. I don't know. What is it that you need to do to compel someone to show up or to hear about Jesus or start a conversation? We're not building our dream of a big church, but God's dream of a full heaven. We just need to keep that in our mind. And that's what Jesus is teaching. Third thought here is we love the visible. And that's, Jesus uses shocking words to awaken us to this thought, right? Like, he's like, if you don't, just think of it when you're like, backed into a corner and you don't know what to say, and, and this happens to kids a lot. They say something really hurtful just instantly, and, and it's like, so Jesus all of a sudden is in this moment. He's trying to help him get it and tells a story, and he's like, if you don't hate your mother and father and wife and kids and brother and sister and follow me, he's trying to make a point, right? He uses this word, hate. Matthew translated it this way. 
See, Luke, I believe, is very, he's very detailed, very, he's just literal. So he wrote down that version, right? Matthew softens it up a bit. Listen to the way Matthew recorded the same scenario in uh, Matthew 10, 37. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Isn't that a lot more gentle and nice instead of hate your life and hate your wife and follow, okay? You know, it's like, oh, whoa, that's harder. So Luke just gives it to us straight where Matthew's like, on a scale of five to ten, or one to ten, you, you probably needed it like a five to embrace this truth, right? And Luke is like, on a scale of one to ten, coming at you at a ten, okay? You ready? Hate your wife and hate your life and follow me. Anyway, it's kind of interesting. Jesus wants us to put him as number one priority, but he's unseen to us now, Right? We must elevate our love and relationship with Jesus beyond that of the seen in order to please God is the challenge. I mean, it looks great on a t-shirt. I saw one this week. It says, says, God, family, Seahawks. Very accurate, right? Priorities all straight. But is God really first when excuses start to roll off? Right? What does life look like if He's first? I mean, we make different choices based on our priorities. So I started thinking, man, did I talk to my family yesterday? Absolutely, right? God, family, Seahawks. Uh, did I? Yeah, I did. I did. I talked to my family. Uh, uh, did, you, did you do activities together? Absolutely. You know, did you see who the Seahawks drafted? Yes, I did. Okay, I checked up on that. I looked a little. I'll admit I did that. I did that. How much time did you spend praying and reading your Bible? Okay, get it, God. Never mind. Let's go on to the next topic, right? I mean, that's kind of, you look at your priority. Did I read my Bible? Yeah, I did the little short devotion in the morning on my phone. But boy, it took me a while to research some other things and, and, and spend this time and do that time. It's like, yeah, on a scale, could I prove, God, you were first yesterday? I think that's the question he's asking us. Am I first? Love me, top priority. Only with this type of love will you carry your cross. What's your cross? Well, the cross is that representation of, of giving your life up, right? It's like of, of total surrender, and it's also the cost of following Jesus. You know, he's giving the illustration of building a tower and, and going to war. You've got to count the cost. You've got to understand what's the cost of following Jesus. And there is a cost. Jesus isn't just making it life and fluffy and, you know, hey, it's going to be all cool. You embrace Jesus. The rest, of the rest of your life is blessed and prosperous. Amen, right? No. You're still in this world, just no longer of it, and you have an eternal promise. But the same troubles that hit the guy next to you are going to hit you. If there's an earthquake in your city, you're going to feel it even though you follow Jesus. It's how we deal with that earthquake. It's what we do afterwards. It's how we spread hope through it. It's our mindset. Your deal might not be excuses, but maybe it's opposition. So he's saying, carry the cross because there's a cost. If one person opposes you, 
when you try to bring them, is that when you're done with your faith? Is it when somebody, when you finally get to the point where you're like, you should come with me to church. I think this would be good. You know, maybe they're one of, one of those people that says, I'm, I'm not in church, or I'm, I'm not a churchgoer, or, or I just moved to the community, and you're like, well, I should invite you to open life. And, and maybe at the barbecue in your neighborhood, because you had invited your neighbor, they're like, oh, yeah, he's the, he's the guy who goes to church. And you're like, you know, and that's what it takes to get you to freak out and like stop sharing. Jesus is saying, no, keep going right through that because people want to see someone who's faithful and they're following Jesus. And he's encouraging us and equipping us here in this. Jesus is saying with both, with every scenario of opposition and with every scenario of excuse, keep inviting. That's his challenge here. Number four, and these next two are interesting. We overestimate our abilities. Our abilities. This is a tendency we have. We overestimate our strength. We try to do things in, in our strength. Sure, my thousand can defeat your 20,000. Bring it, right? And we, we go into battles that maybe God was saying, wait a second, wait a second, right? Count the cost first. We think we're more powerful than we are. When we take an honest look at our life, have we surrendered all? And this is a little bit of what we talked about last week, right? Because Jesus asks for everything, all of us here. Last week we talked about how humility, right? That the way up is down. Take the most humble seat at the table, the least honored seat. And if the host wants to honor you, he'll move you up. But be humble. Don't exalt yourself. Allow God to exalt you. When we surrender all to Jesus and bless Him with all we are, we just give ourselves to Him because He's blessed us with life, right? Less is more. But more than that, nothing is everything. And He's giving us this new law. Don't, have, don't overestimate your ability, because it's not in you. It's in Jesus. It's challenging us. And then final thought, we, undermate, we underestimate the cost of idleness. This is where the salt comes in, right? So Jesus has just challenged us. He said, man, salt in this day would keep things cold, would, would help fertilize the land, would do these different things if it was in right proportion. Salt was useful. But if it lost its saltiness, it was used for like paths. It was trampled on, as Matthew put it. Luke doesn't use that word. But you look at this and you go, you know, our goal is to season the world that we live in. When we're in a room, it should make a difference. When, a, when someone who follows Jesus is in a space, we're the salt. We bring flavor to the environment. That's our goal, our role. And so I look at this and I go, if we're idle, Jesus is saying, don't just accept the invitation. Don't accept the excuses. Don't, don't be paralyzed with opposition. Don't live in a lack of surrender. We always need to be actively growing our relationship with Jesus. And if we're idle, we'll lose our flavor. 
because our flavor is if we're out and present with our community making an impact. That's where our flavor is useful. Jesus is challenging the disciples to be used to fulfill their purpose in the world. And for those who hear, they'll take action after this. That's why he says, with those who have ears to hear. Do I have ears? Yeah. Are they hearing? Then take action. Choose Jesus. Make it into the kingdom of heaven, the great banquet, and count the cost and follow him daily. First priority in our life. That's our challenge here today. So on the back of your connection card, you add some responses you could make. Man, if you've yet to choose to follow Jesus, you need to make that choice today. That's the great, that's heaven. That's the big deal in that first parable today. But if you've chosen to follow Jesus and maybe you just need to surrender all, maybe there's something you're holding back and you haven't given fully to Jesus, surrender today and then convince yourself And have a dialogue with yourself this week, and maybe it's in your group, but figure out, man, how can I, in the world I live in, touch the lives of those, all of those who've been invited, not just those who've grown up in church all their life and need a better church, not those who are are just struggling because they hate church now because they used to go, but those who've just never heard the hope and peace and love of Jesus, and they think they're not invited. The roads, the alleys, the streets, that's who Jesus is saying, I came for the lost. Get out of your home. Go meet your neighbors. Begin to invite them and compel them to hear the gospel. That's the challenge in our text today. So God, Whoa, thank you, Jesus, for even using shocking words like hate to wake us up. Are we really putting you first? And for some, the question in this room is, am I really following Jesus? Have I made a decision to invite Jesus into my life? And and if that's you today and you've yet to pray and invite Jesus into your life, I want you to pray this with me right now. Jesus, come into my life. I want to follow you as Lord and Savior. It's that simple. That's how simple it is. And if you made that decision, I want you to check that box on your connection card because we're going to celebrate with you. But not just that, we're going to do what Jesus did and we're going to help you grow in your relationship. We're going to help you become a disciple, a follower of Jesus. So God, I just pray for those who make that decision, but I pray for all of the rest of us who've made that at some point in time in our life, that you would compel us to go compel others to hear your message, to know that heaven is welcoming them in, that you want heaven to be full. That's our drive. And we know statistically in our space that you've entrusted us to pastor, to go out and reach, to minister to, that there's 80,000 people that are not hearing your message weekly. And I pray that, God, we could be the ones that would be the salt in their life, active and flavorful, useful to you in this kingdom so that others can make a decision to follow you and spend life eternally in your kingdom. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 
Thank you for joining us today. If you have questions about anything you heard during this talk or have a prayer request, you can fill out the connection card on our app or online at livinglifeopen.com. If you'd like to join the mission of Open Life with a financial gift, you can do this quickly and securely through the app by pressing the Give button at the bottom or on our website by clicking on the Giving tab. Open Life wouldn't exist without the consistent and generous giving of people like you. Finally, it's great that you had the chance to listen on the app, online, or through our podcast. But have you ever thought about joining us for a service? We meet every Sunday at Bonnie Lake High School at 10 a.m. This way you can put a face to the voice you've been hearing through your ears. Thanks again for joining us today. Have a great rest of your week.